and that's true of, of any any family i would assume any family operation family business whatever if you the kids come in and they're making changes and dad's like what what was wrong with the way that i was doing it yeah you get sort of that right? you get, so then yep. thanksgiving and christmas get to be awkward <laughs> <laughs> This is the Generally Accepted Accounting Podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson, LTD. We're a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota. And we'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. Hi, I'm Hillary Dobbs-Davis, Client Experience Manager for Casey Peterson, LTD. I'm Visual Production Associate, Evan Lutis. Today's episode is for our ag producers. Oftentimes, the objective for farmers and ranchers at the end of the year is to lower their tax burden by spending and deferring. But one of our shareholders, Leah Heidler, argues that a profitability mindset is a better objective. So we'll talk about tax planning, social security implications, succession planning, and because it's about agriculture, of course, the weather. Oh, also cheese making. You'll definitely want to tune in for that. So listen in to learn more. On the podcast today, we have Leah Heidler. She's one of our shareholders. So welcome, Leah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So Leah has been with the firm for 15 years. Is that right? That's right. This month, 15 years. 15 years. Nice. Cool. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> So I was hired in 08, which was during the recession. Oh, man. I easy to think of. Yeah. Exciting. Right. Exciting to have a job in 08. Right? Yes. <laughs> you know? um, so you're a QuickBooks Pro Advisor and you've done, you're usually a presenter at like some of our agriculture seminars. We've seen some of that. We've got all of the, a lot of the QuickBooks, we've got those recorded on our YouTube page still. So always a, that's always something for folks to check out. And you do focus on, you specialize in the farm and ranch industry, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today. And you and your husband and your two kids actually live on a ranch near near Faith. That's right. Yep. We have a ranch out in Opal. Out in Opal. What a great yep. name for a town. I love that. So how is, with how's the weather been up there in Opal? What's the, what's the ranching community? Are they was- looking forward to the year? Are they nervous? I was a little worried there when we got hit with some snow in October and some cold. It didn't get above freezing for quite a few days. And so I was a little worried that winter had begun and we weren't looking back, but it's nicer now. So was it 70 yesterday like it was here? Uh, Not quite 70. No. And it was pretty overcast. We did get some rain yesterday, like 1200, something like that. So a little bit. We'll stay a little bit. Uh, so the topic that we're talking today um, is based on a column that you wrote for one of our kind of our local ag publications that making a profit is actually a good thing. And so this kind of relates to year in planning for a lot of ag producers. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what that looks like from the mind of an ag producer when it comes to the end of the year and you're looking at what your tax bill might be and kind of where you are financially and just sort of like that thought process a little bit? For sure. So now is definitely the time I'm starting to get into tax planning and doing more tax planning meetings. And so it's on the forefront of all of our minds that the market is up, calf prices are good. um, And so we've got to start thinking about that and doing some planning and projections of what the year is going to look like. And as we're looking at that, I think it's just important to go into it with the mindset of not wanting to just wipe out all of our taxable income and not 
go out and purchase and purchase and prepay and just wipe it all out because it's the market being higher than the previous years, it's good to have that profit. And so I think it's important that we show a profit. Now, we want to be reasonable about it and not, I mean, this, that's why we need to do some planning right now so that we're not in really high tax brackets this year and then potentially have a loss next year. And, you know, we want to try to level things out a little bit and work towards making it to where we're making the years balance a little bit. Um, now, there's things that we can do on the tax return to make it to where we can do income averaging, but that only affects the federal tax. And so we do have to do some planning ahead of time to try to level out the years a little bit and plan ahead that way. But we don't want to just wipe out all of our taxable income and not pay any tax. It is a smart thing to show that profit. Um, that means you're making money. And along with that, that also means you're paying some tax, which is okay. I think a lot of times it just as self-employed, it's harder to have the mindset of paying some tax at the end of the year because it's all coming at once. Whereas if you have a W-2 employee, let's say you've got even somebody in ag that ha is a W-2 employee, let, let's say sell seed or something like that, they're getting a W-2. And so the Social Security and Medicare tax is coming out of their paycheck every paycheck that they're getting, as well as the federal withholding, which is the federal tax too. So you've got your federal tax and you've got your Social Security. It's coming out of your paycheck before you ever see it. But in the ag industry, being self-employed, the sale barn doesn't take that out for us, right? So we're getting all of our income and it is a smart thing to pay some of that in at the end of the year, not only for planning ahead so that you're not just kicking the can down the road as far as deductions go that will eventually catch up with you, but also for retirement planning as far as Social Security goes. Because even if you're paying in some tax on the tax return, it doesn't mean that you're paying in Social Security tax. And so it's important to plan ahead and think about these things to try to get a little bit of a profit on your Schedule F because that's where the Social Security tax is going to come in. And that's where you're going to pay in some of that Social Security tax. Now, some people, the main profit that they're making on their tax return is breeding stock. And that's not Social Security taxable income. And so we can do some things. We can actually make an election as ag producers to pay in Social Security tax, whether we have a Social Security taxable profit or not. And so if we do that for producers, if we start paying that in now, make that election, then it's helping towards their Social Security. You know, and people are starting to think about that. I do see producers that get towards the end where they're getting close to 65 and they've got nothing and it's too late now, right? So earlier, the better to start thinking about those things and pay in some Social Security, whether it's you're planning ahead to make a profit on your Schedule F or you're just making an election to pay in some whether you owe it or not. Um, and a lot of times for married couples that have kids, if you make that election, it actually saves you tax because it kicks in an earned income credit. And so there are some strategies available there that you can pay in Social Security tax but not actually have to write the government a check because you've got credits that offset that Social Security tax. So yeah, let's Back up a second and talking about the the mindset about profitability. Can you talk about some of the good things? So if a producer, like it, sometimes a thing, it seems sort of intuitive of like, oh yeah, profit is a good thing. But yeah, if you have a big tax bill or you're you're trying to level out things, I could see that being a detriment to people. But what are some of the benefits beyond just like, yeah, you made money. What are some of the benefits to producers for showing a profit? 
there's lots of options to bring down a profit. And most of the time it has to do with depreciation. So when you buy a piece of equipment, you have the option to wipe out your profit with accelerated depreciation if you have purchased enough capital assets. Okay, so a benefit to not wiping it all out and not just making the decision that you want to not pay any tax is saving some of that depreciation, saving it for future years that you may need it. And that's why I say it's important to not kick the can down the road, because if you just are wiping out all of your capital purchases every year and accelerating that depreciation, you're not going to have that depreciation down the road when that tractor is making you money. Or if you're buying some replacement heifers and you depreciate them all at once, they're going to be making you money down the road into the next four or five years. They're going to be making you a profit. And if you wipe it all out right away when you buy them, you're not going to have those deductions to offset the profit that you're making down the road and it could catch up with you. Um, So that's why it's important to try to strategize in a way that you're paying in some tax in a lower tax bracket and so that it's not you know, you're not getting outrageous tax brackets down the road. We're thinking ahead and paying in a little bit each year so that it's in a reasonable bracket. Okay. So you're just kind of stair-stepping it into, so taking it all at once, it's just trying to break it up a little bit so that you do have some depreciation so that when you are showing a lot more profit, you can take a little bit of that back through depreciation. Right. Is there also like, okay, so if you show a profit and you end up with money at the end of the year, is there like investment? I mean, can you invest back into your in, into your operations, maybe sure. hiring, doing that kind of thing? Like there's other options that you could be doing instead of just saving all the profit that you could be kind of reinvesting it into what you're doing? Sure, for sure. So you could, you know, if if you're making a big enough profit to where you're worried about paying too much tax, there's lots of different strategies that we can do. The things that you can prepay, you can actually prepay, like fill your gas tanks. So if you strategize to where you know the gas market is lower, um, you can purchase, you know, fill your bulk tanks when it's lower. And that kind of a prepay is a deduction for you if you're on the cash method, which most ag producers are on the cash method of accounting. Um, Things that you can't prepay is depreciable. So we talked about fully writing off the assets that you're buying. You can't prepay capital assets. You you have to actually take delivery of them and place them into service. Now, like if it's a combine and and it's in December, you don't actually have to go combine your corn when it's not, you don't, yeah, that's not feasibly possible. So <laughs> it's not that you actually have to use them. You just have to take delivery of it. Okay, and so it's not like yeah. you can't say next year I'm going to buy a uh, combine. Right. It's, you, you actually have to physically have the combine. in order. Not to only do you, yes, not only do you have to sign the contract for showing that it's now your asset, but you have to actually take delivery of it. Yes. That makes sense. And also you mentioned in the article so like maybe you can take some of that additional profit and you can hire people that can take the burden off you of having to do all of the work yourself. Other things you can just do for, for families, you know, so that it's not that families are having to do all of the work. There's some things you can just kind of spread it around. So kind of that different, a different mindset maybe that people don't consider. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it is important to be okay with having a profit because you know, if you're if you're thinking ahead and actually working towards a profit, it's it's things that can help bring your stress level down. Because, you know, 
you you hear that saying of work smarter, not harder. You know, if you can utilize and, and ways to do this is think about in your business, not only run the numbers for the whole entire operation, but break it down into what's what's actually working in my operation. You know, so if if you're running a cow calf operation, how how is that comparing to maybe I'm running yearlings also? Is that making me money? And trying to figure out where the profit is at. And so if there's one area of your operation that's really dragging your profit down, maybe focus your efforts and your time into another area that's actually making a profit. And I mean, we don't want to go too far to where it's miserable for you, but you know, you you got to love what you do as well. But but it is a good thing to be making a profit in the area that's working so that you can do things like hire help so that you have more time to work on your business and not just in your business. Things like that that can lessen the stress of your life. That makes total sense too. I mean, just even being able to have that profit to be able to step back and look at what do I love? Is that just a passion project that I'm doing because that's what my family has done or I just really enjoy it, doesn't make me a ton of money, which is fine. I, everybody has that. That's that's totally fine. But is there then I can take some of this profit and I can actually invest it in expanding the piece of things that maybe I don't enjoy doing as much, but it does make me money. So are there ways that I can automate that? I can bring in help to do some of that sort of stuff. And then maybe I can focus more on the things that I do enjoy that don't make as much money. Yeah. I I see people, operators doing all sorts of different things. And I can kind of look at that and see what's working for different ranches. You know, some people, they don't invest in their own haying operation. They just buy hay and that works well for them. And, you know, they've looked, ran the numbers to see, you know, equipment, the costs are outrageous right now for a new tractor and for a baler. All that hay equipment just adds up and the fuel to put into it, you know, all of that. And some some operations, it just works better to buy hay rather than put up your own. And so, I mean, you won't know that until you run the numbers and see if it works. But for some operations that that just works well. And so that is a fun part of my job is looking at the different ways that people operate to see what works and what doesn't and, you know, what, which people are actually making a go of it, but happy in their lives as well. Right. Exactly. Finding that good balance of doing the things that you you love, especially the certain parts of it, and also having enough money to live and pay the bills and do all of that stuff. Is there like a client exchange or anything or a few clients have come to mind where you've talked about Maybe they came into like a tax planning meeting with the mentality of, I got to I gotta get rid of as much of this tax bill as possible. And you were able to kind of steer them into like, well, let's look at this a little bit more long term. Or is it, are people pretty much open to whatever kind of recommendations you make? I think the hardest part about getting people into that mindset of being okay with paying in some tax is when you have a transition from one generation to the next. Oh, sure. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a hard thing for a younger generation coming up to write a big check to pay tax. I mean, it's like we talked about, it's not a W-2 where it's coming out of the check that you're already getting. You're actually having to write a check for it. And that's really hard. And so when you have a transition of an operation from the older generation down to the next generation, it's it's harder to convince, I'll say, you know, or to make people okay with it. But You've got to just go into it with, if you're paying in some tax, it means you made a profit and that that's our goal. Like we, you know, it's a good thing to be making a enough of a profit to be paying in some tax. Now, like I said, we got to be smart about it and 
make sure it's at a reasonable level and not outrageous in one year and then not as much the next year. You know, we want to do some of those tax planning things where we're evening it out. And there are things that we can do, you know, like the next person might come in and have a big sale going on, you know, like be selling a, a piece of land. And so we've got to think about some ways to help with that. You know, there's different options as far as when you're selling a piece of land, you can do a 1031 exchange to where you're putting it in, reinvesting it into another piece of property. Or if you're, if you've got this big piece of land to sell and you're just wanting to get slow down a little bit or start succession or retirement, then maybe a contract for deed is one way to spread that income out over several years and do an installment agreement sale. And so there's different options there. So yeah, just talking it through with the producer of what what are they trying to accomplish? What are they what do they want to see? And then going forward with some plans as far as what how how can we make that happen and work successfully? Do you think with that that transition with the into the new generation, is that kind of the mindset of like, this is how I, I know that my folks or my grandparents operated and it's just like this new way I'm not, I just not tried and tested or I'm not familiar with it. Is there a little bit of just fear of the unknown that it's new? Is that kind of the, yeah. the hesitation people have? And I'm sure there's some pressure between one generation to the next sure. that if you're changing things, it means yeah. you didn't like the way I was doing it, which is not always the case. You know, sometimes we've got to change with the times a little bit you know the the industry is changing and we've got to roll with it enough to where we can continue on to the next generation down and think about our young kids that are gonna have to keep going if we want this lifestyle to continue on to our kids and so yeah I, th I think a lot of times we can have this paradigm that we can't change because this is just always the way it's been done but a lot of times change is is a good thing too and that's true of, of any any family, I would assume any family operation, family business, whatever. If you, the kids come in and they're making changes and dad's like, what, what was wrong with the way that I was doing it? So yeah. you get sort of that. Right. So then yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas get to be a little bit awkward. I'm going to imagine that transition is especially tough. I mean, I guess everybody's succession plan is going to be a little bit different. But if you've got kids that, you know, maybe went out into the workforce, they've been working a job and they've been getting a W-2. Mm -hmm for 10 mm -hmm. years, they've already been kind of trained in that, like, well, I don't want to pay in. That would be yeah. crazy. Then they come <laughs> yeah. back to be more involved in the operations and that it's just a complete, yes. completely different world to be working in where right. you're going to have to pay in and set money aside for things that you just didn't have to before. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. In some of those situations, it's a good thing to just take a look at your tax return from before when you were a W-2 employee and look how much tax you actually did pay in. You didn't feel it, at the end, but you really did pay in some tax. You just had that federal withholding to cushion it. And so, yeah, just changing how things are operating now and how how things actually flow in your finances. It's just being self-employed is a whole different ballgame. That is Between yeah. that and, and like you mentioned, you know, kind of trying to level out those big years and the low years to sort of meet mm -hmm. something in the middle so you're not in some crazy tax bracket changing every year. It's a yeah. much more manual balancing act than it is, you know, right. for, for your white collar nine to five. Yep. When you're selling your breeding cattle, um, that is going on a completely separate schedule than when you're selling calves. Okay. Um, and when you're buying capital assets and all your operating expenses, that all goes on your self-employment schedule, which is a schedule F. 
Okay. And so that's why the schedule F sometimes can show a loss, but your other schedule that has your breeding livestock sales, that can be a profit. And so when that happens, that means that you could be paying in some tax, but it's all federal tax and not going towards your social security at all. And so I see a lot of operators that they like to keep their social security tax manageable by selling prime cows. So whether that's pears or red cows, but they're selling them when they're like four or five years old and getting more money for them because they're selling them at a, you know, they're a better quality animal. And so it's good. That's a great strategy. And we see that a lot to where they're keeping their social security tax manageable, but we don't want to completely wipe it out to where you're not paying in any social security. Right. So that's where there is that election that you can make to pay in some social security, regardless of the schedule F profit or not. You can just make the election to pay in some, and it's usually around a thousand. So it's not extraordinary amounts that you're electing to pay, but basically then you're just paying in some towards your retirement and not only retirement, but it's also good to pay in some social security for um, disability purposes. Oh, sure. you, know, right. you know, if there's an accident that happens, which, you know, is this is a high risk job that, you know, yeah. agriculture can be very dangerous. And so having the, that extra disability protection is good as well. And so you, you just don't have that if you're not paying in any social security. Do you find like with new clients that come on that do most egg producers know about the social security part of things that there's different? So. No, it's just no, something I think that it's they... not right. Unless you really have that conversation with your tax preparer, it's hard to look at a tax return and try to make sense of what you're looking at, right? It's all foreign and like, a, like another language, unless you can have a conversation about here's what the outcome is. And, you know, here's, here's what the tax is, if any, and this is what it means for you. And um, this is the good and the bad and the ugly all along with it. And so um, not only just looking at a tax return, but trying to do some of that forethought beforehand, like now in the fall yeah, um, or early winter so that you can start thinking about these things. Another thing for making it to where you're not always having a loss is if you always have a loss or break even, you don't have any earned income. And that means you can't put into an IRA. You can't put into a traditional IRA or Roth IRA even if you don't have any earned income. And so if you want to start doing some of that retirement planning as far as putting in, like actually writing a check into an investment such as an IRA, you've got to have some earned income to be able to do that. And so it's it's a good thing to show some profit there for those purposes as well. Yeah, I never even thought of that. Yeah, because if you have a loss, there's nothing to put into the IRA if you're just showing <laughs> right. that you haven't made anything. So if you had uh, like a new a new egg producer client come to you who was just not familiar at all with this whole end of your tax planning process, what are some key things that you would want them to understand about the process and just some things for them to keep in mind? Well, to make my life easier, it's good <laughs> to have good set of bookkeeping. Um, so that things are updated and throughout the year and not just put onto a piece of paper. I mean, I get that too, to where we've got totals put onto a piece of paper and we do planning with that. And that's all right. But it is nice to have a good set of software books that has totals. Um, I like to see bookkeeping that not only has a livestock sales total, but breaks it down by here's calf income and here's 
my open heifer income because that's treated, that's taxed a little differently than calves. Um, backgrounded yearlings, that's that can go in with the calves, but the actual open heifers, keep that separate. Bread heifers, keep that separate from your calf income. So I like to see, I call them sub-accounts of your livestock, your main livestock income account. I like to see sub-accounts of a little bit more detail for me um, and for you when you come in to do a tax planning appointment that we can strategize these things and look at it all in one place. We don't have to go the extra step of totaling all of our calves and making tapes everywhere and making it more complex <laughs> than it has to be. So a good set of clean books that the chart of accounts is set up to where I can see just by looking at that profit and loss, here's the type of income you've got. And not only the calves, the open heifers, but the bulls, keep those separate. The the cows, I like to see raised cows separate from purchased cows in a separate account. Um, those are some of the things that help me and then in turn make the tax planning appointment go a lot easier. And then just making it to where you don't have this huge list of expenses because me as a tax preparer and tax planning, we don't need to have a separate account for every type of repair you do. We need to just have a repair account, right? And so- So just because you change the tire on a tractor doesn't mean you need the nuance of every detail that went into the nuts and bolts of that. (laughs) Just right. This is how much we spend on repairs. Repairs. Yes. Let's have a repairs account. <laughs> if you, for your own internal purposes, want to have a sub account of repairs for the tractor or for pickups, things like that, that's fine. But make it to where there's a total repairs and so that we can look at that. Okay. Another thing when we come in to do tax planning is it's important to have those set of books clean enough to where, let's say your interest expense is on there. A lot of times in a bookkeeping scenario, the whole loan payment is put into the bookkeeping as an expense. But okay. I we can only deduct the interest portion. We can't deduct the principal portion of your loan payments. And so the cleaner we can have that so that I know just by looking at that profit and loss, here's here's our interest expenses. We're not having to back out things and add things in and ask yeah, a lot of questions. Separate, just makes, right. Yeah. And trying to separate things out from principal and interest. You can actually just yes. see the interest piece of things. Yep. Technically, the principal portion should be going to the balance sheet on the profit and loss at all. But things like that to where it's easier. Things like keeping your personal expenses all in one area so that I don't have to go in and pull out personal expenses all throughout. Things like that can help the tax planning go go more smooth and make it easier on everybody and faster on everybody. And so then also not only for me doing the tax planning appointment, but it's better for you because a lot of times I'll have producers look at a profit and loss and be like, I don't know what I made because there's all this stuff scattered throughout my profit and loss that really is not relevant to the business. And so I don't really know what my profit is. I can't just look at an ending net income amount and know how I'm doing. So having a cleaner set of books so that you can analyze throughout the year, not not only with your tax preparer, but just you looking at it and seeing how are things going. You're not going to be able to look at your net income and have an accurate amount if you have principal loan payments on your profit and loss. It's just not going to, you're going to have to back those things out and think about them. And so as clean as you can get those set of books so that you can analyze how things are going for tax purposes and just for internal profit, profitability purposes as well. So you got to get back to your, yeah, your, your previous point about then you can see which parts of the business are making you the most money, which ones are a little bit more of a, a drag maybe, and then make some decisions about that. And the software has a capability of doing that. QuickBooks calls it classes. Quicken calls it tags. Different terminology for the same thing. You're just categorizing areas of your business as you're entering those transactions. 
and at the end of the year or at the end of a quarter or however often you want to analyze it, you look at a profit and loss by those categories and you can see how each section is doing in your business. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's got to be helpful just at a glance to figure out, yeah, what losses are, are there pieces of equipment that maybe need to be replaced because they're just, the repairs are astronomical or yeah. is this, the this one is just not making our money, whatever it is. Yeah, I would think for any business that's got to be super helpful. So sure. it's not just one giant number at the end of the, yes, it was a good year, but you can get a little more granular with it. Right. But you're going to be able to put those numbers to work for you, where you can actually kind of dig into the details and analyze what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. Yep. Like we talked about working on the business, not just in the business. That's right. I love that. We have t-shirts made that say that. <laughs> Give it all to all the egg, egg producers. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so when it comes to meeting with egg producers and talking about some of the planning and you get to like retirement, are a lot of egg producers receptive to the concept or are they still the mindset of like, I'm never going to retire. This is just what I'm going to do until they take me yep. out of the field. Or is that is that kind of that mindset? Is that shifting as new generations come in? I think a lot of ag producers utilize their land as their retirement. And that's perfectly acceptable, too. I mean, that that can be a good retirement plan is your land. I mean, drawing least income off from your land when you are ready to slow down. Um, that can definitely be a good method of retirement. Um, just things to think about when you're working with your succession plan is what amount of money am I going to need um, in retirement each year? And is what I've got set up able to sustain that? And so if you've got enough land built up to where lease income can do that. But I would say that if that is the plan, it, it can be a big switch of mindset when somebody does go from operating, let's say, a cow-calf operation to just leasing out their land. All of a sudden, you don't have all those operation expenses. You don't have all those capital assets and those deductions. And so you are making a profit. And so that is when tax starts coming into play and it's you got to have a switch of mindset that you're going to pay some tax in and that's okay. It means that you're making a profit. But the more you can pay in throughout as you're operating, the more depreciation you're going to have left over to help offset some of those profits as you transition into just leasing out an operation. And maybe not even a bad idea for if you're using your land as your retirement planning, that's fine. Maybe look the idea of a Roth or an IRA just as like supplement in case that's not enough money or things right. happen just kind of a, like a rainy day fund of at least you know that that's also there if lease pricing or land or whatever fluctuates there's something that's a little bit kind of stable there for you as yeah. well. Those kind of funds and retirement planning is good for trying to pass down your inheritance to off-farm heirs kids sure. that are not actually operating on the place. The more you can diversify like that and have funds that are not just the actual operation and the land and your equipment that it takes to run the place, having more things like that, like life insurance or retirement plan like that, that you can put in the will for the kids that don't want to come back and continue sure. on. That just makes it that much more of setting your kids up that do want to stay on the place up for success so that they can actually make a go of it and you don't have to have them paying their siblings. Right. And splitting up the pieces of yeah. land. Yeah. Splitting it up to where it's just not operationable. Like they can't make a go of it if you're splitting it evenly. So more retirement things like that that can make it to where they're getting some as well. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense. 
It's really interesting talking with you, Leah, and how you've mentioned the depreciation schedule and how that can kind of be almost used as like an asset pool of of stuff to draw from in the future. Because we had a previous podcast where we had talked about like, you know, cost segregation and accelerated depreciation schedules. So <laughs> it's really interesting to hear kind of the other side of that argument to where, you know, there are times where maybe you do want to take it up front, but it sounds like in agriculture, maybe not so much, kind of hold off if you can. For sure. The more things that we can, if we've got a year to where we've got a big loss, you're squandering those deductions if you have a big net operating loss because you can't pass over and keep passing down that loss for, let's say, your standard deduction, which is pretty big these days. And standard yeah. deduction is a big deal. You lose that if you've got a big loss. And so the more you can utilize depreciation, because that you don't lose, that's going to be saved for future years. So trying to make it to where if you do have a bunch of fence that you bought that really can be capitalized rather than just deducted in a year, if you capitalize it, spread it out over seven years, fence would be over seven years, then you're saving those deductions for down the road. Um, anything that you can do to capitalize things so that you can slow that down. We've got some options on the tax return to slow down depreciation just with the maker's method that we're using. And so we can slow things down if there is a loss to try to utilize them in future years when the profit might be higher. Lots of things we can do on a tax return to utilize depreciation in our our favor. I think if anybody was not thankful for egg producers, not just feeding the world, but also managing there the is. amount of complexity that it comes to just running an operation, uh, I hope they have, they have hope that come around. <laughs> right. <laughs> Appreciative. Yes. When you talk about the weather with, with people in agriculture and ranching, it's literally the livelihood. Like, yeah, of course you're going to be yeah. way into it and way aware of everything because it affects everything. So... Yeah, that was one of the things I mentioned in the article is that agriculture is such, there's so many pieces to it that are completely out of our hands that yeah. affect the years to come. And so there's a lot of things you can't foresee. You can't always predict, but there are things that we can do to plan ahead and be smart and wise about setting ourselves up for success down the road. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point to make is that because so much of it is out of a producer's control, being smart, being tech savvy, having a good tax consultant that can help you with financial planning, that, that's really important because that can set you up for success. So good years, bad years, they don't make or break you. You just kind of hopefully ride in the middle a little bit and continue to do what you love and something that's super important without all of the financial headache, which I'm sure there's still stress around it. But at least having a plan has got to help. Yeah, for sure. For sure it does. Yeah. And being able to see that in our own operation and working with my husband on our on our own place to see what's working and what's not and you know going through the same things that my clients are going through has been a huge help to be able to service my clients in a better way to where I can relate and and know the ins and outs of what they're dealing with. Yeah, you have yeah. firsthand knowledge. Yeah, this is what this is what we found. This is what helped us. This is what didn't. That's got to be a huge. Yeah huge expertise for the for the folks that you serve. Helps be really empathetic towards the the issues that they're facing and probably also gives you kind of that insider track of knowledge when it comes to the problems solving side of things, you know. The same things that are keeping them at night are probably keeping you up at night. Right. We're we're actually not in a drought in western South Dakota right. Now. That's right. Right. That's yeah. right. Uh -huh. That seems weird. And I know that East I know. got it quite a bit worse. 
That's true. We've swapped, swapped roles a little bit here. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of times, let's say a producer had a calf crop sale that they had to, for whatever reason, sell two calf crops in one year. They're doubling up their income in one year. So in past years, in the past several years, it's been a drought declared county. Most of West River, South Dakota has been drought declared. And so we've been able to just on the tax return do what we call a 451E election and move the excess sales over to the following year. Um, so this that, that is a drought deferral that we would just basically move the excess, what we, what we had to sell because of drought, moving it over into the following year to even things out. No longer can we do that in 2023 for a lot of West River, South Dakota counties because they're not drought declared. And so we can't just after the fact, hey, make this work. I I sold double the income here. Make this work on the tax return for me. That's not going to be a go this year. And so we've got to plan ahead and think ahead on these things. There are other options that we can do. The sale barn can actually do a contract with you, a legal contract to where they are keeping the funds. Even if you had to sell or you're sold in the fall when the market was up, they can keep those funds until the following year. So basically it's doing a deferral at the sale barn. Okay. So you're not you're not taking that money at all. So that's that's one option. We can do things like if you're selling a lot of cows, raised older cows, we can do an installment sale on those. We can't do an installment sale on purchased cows, but the raised older cows, we can do an installment sale on those just like we could if you were selling a big chunk of land. And to where if you had to sell a lot, let's say you're trying to transition out and you want to sell your cows and they're all older raised cows, an installment sale just means you're doing a contract for deed on them and you're going to get the payment throughout the years. And you're going to get some interest on that too because whoever is buying them from you is paying you interest. It's basically like they're you are the financer of the purchaser of those cows. And so then doing an installment sale on them just means you're going to report the income as you get the payments. When you get the money, that's when you report it as income. I love the idea of contract for deed on cows. I don't know why. I just <laughs> I just think that is, that's just the coolest thing. <laughs> it's like if I went to the grocery store and I bought a gallon of milk, but I decided that I was going to pay over time on that gallon of milk. I don't know. For some reason, that just... That's what it just kind of reminds me of. <laughs> sure. You guys have finance options for these blocks of cheese. <laughs> you know what? The price of cheese is outrageous these days. I'm just going to need to do this and just, just in shock. Sure. The cheese and the payments, please. So. <laughs> Little known fact about me. I am getting into cheese making, though. Oh, it's expensive, yeah. right? Yes. It is fun to make cheese. Let me tell you. When you can turn... So I've got a milk cow, right? And so... I'm using raw milk to make cheese. When you can turn a pot of milk into cheese, it is cool. It's just That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's very how, cool. How did you figure, did you have somebody like teach you how to do that? Or did you know how like the process worked? Or did you I like started, YouTube it? <laughs> I started following people that like cheese makers. This, yeah. There's people that that's their influence is they teach people how to make cheese. And so people that have just milk cows it's become more of a trend the homesteading thing and so you can find a lot of these people that are that are trying to teach the cheese making art <laughs> so uh but yeah. and i are coming up we're coming up to the ranch in opal and you're okay. gonna teach them to make cheese because i don't think there's anything either of us like more so <laughs> one of the best things about being alive is cheese so we're really excited about all right it. next podcast I'm, I'm just a little mad that Show i was tell. not presented the option of being a cheese influencer as a career path <laughs> 
where was that in college? I did not see that on any syllabus anywhere. (laughs) You would be surprised the amount of followers you can get as a cheese maker. (laughs) Uh, Are you, so how long have you been making the cheese? This is going to take us down a rabbit hole, but I don't care. Pretty close to after I got my milk out and started milking and realized I love milking and you get a lot of milk and so you got to do something with it. Yeah, we, I started making mozzarella first. That's the, definitely the easiest one. And my kids love it on pizza. Yeah. And it's not like it, it it's not an aged cheese, so it's not going to take a month to do like some of the cheddar and things like that. So it's just takes less than an hour to make a pot of mozzarella cheese. Wow. So have, yeah. have you started aging cheese then as well? I have like- not. I would love to, though. I will someday. Mark my words. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm picturing little blocks of aged cheese with your brand. There you yes. go. <laughs> Too lazy to buy cheese. <laughs> I've made it Too cheap to buy cheese. Too cheap to buy cheese. <laughs> that is awesome. Are you, so do you like the excess cheese? Are you able to like um, either sell that or give that out to family and neighbors? Or are you guys just, you're just eating all the cheese? So far, we're just consuming everything we make. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep, it's too good. <laughs> Kind of a side hustle. I have to again decide between the what's making the money there. Is it the is it the cows? Is it the cheese? There's definitely some R and D costs in, into the cheese operation. <laughs> Paul, that is that take a lot of research. Yes, like I would think so. I think you could probably get like like the CPA equivalent in cheese making. I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. well, it is an art. I mean, if anybody started listening to this podcast thinking, I don't know if this Leah Heiler really knows that much about agriculture and taxes, they now know that they are dead wrong. They're so wrong. <laughs> you know, so many things. All of the things. Oh, and awesome. the thing. <laughs> I mean, it's great to talk with you. I mean, obviously, I really don't have a background in agriculture or taxes for that matter. So it's just, you know, the things that I do not think about that you think about all the time. It's 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 mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, total yeah, appreciation. Yeah, total new appreciation for everything that an egg producer goes through. Like, yeah, already, you know, I was just amazed that that they can do that year after year. But then just all the complexities when it comes to the financial side of things are crazy. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Kind of at the whims of the market as well. Yeah. Yeah. Weather, market, tax, laws and changes and uh, everything that affects them. And yeah, gosh, that is that's a lot. Thank God they do it and not me. Yeah. It's a good thing there's people like Leah that are out there to help people strategize because like the weather varies so much, it's impossible to control. It's outside of your hands. So like the best thing you can do is just kind of keep your options open. And in order to keep those options open, you do have to be thinking about every all this stuff well ahead of time. So Right. Planning for years and years in advance. Yeah. To try to mitigate all the stuff that you don't know and can't control. Cool. cool. Well, thanks so I like much. This. Well, thanks so much for your time. This was a great one. I'm excited for this. Uh, I think this is going to be really helpful for folks. And yeah, it's going to be really cool. Thank you, guys. Thanks for thanks taking the time to talk with me. It was fun. And now the legal stuff. This podcast and associated communications are intended to provide general information about tax, finance, investments, and other financial matters. Although Casey Peterson LTD has made every reasonable effort to ensure that the information provided is accurate, we make no warranties expressed or implied. Be aware that this is not a comprehensive analysis of the subject matter covered. It is not intended to provide specific recommendations to you or your business. Investment advisory services are offered through Advantix Client Partners. Commission-based securities products are offered through Advantix Investment Services. Member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Visitor services are offered through licensed agents of Advantix Client Partners. 3200 dollars
Texas Boulevard, Suite 100, Dallas, Texas, 75019. The Avantex entities are independent of and unrelated to CPS Financial Services, LLP. Although Avantex does not provide or supervise tax or accounting services, our financial professionals may have these services through independent outside business. Not all financial professionals are licensed to offer all products or services. Financial planning and investment advisory services require separate licenses. Hey, Evan. Hey, Hillary. Got a joke for you. Why do cows like being told farmer jokes? I mean, you could probably relate to them, uh, but I truly, I don't know why they would like farmer jokes. Because they like being amused. Nice. Nice.